Welcome, 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 friends, to this very special Come Around the Fire and Let Flame Tell You Stories bonus episode of Pod on the Suit. I am Flame, as you know. If I, this episode just showed up in your podcast feed and you don't know anything about us at all, I, my full fandom name is Be the Flame. I host and create this podcast with a wonderful, wonderful co-host named Festive Ferret. We both met in the Steve Tony fandom, but we are huge fans of a lot of various Marvel things. And this past weekend, one of the things that we are the biggest fan of, which is an event called Marvel Trump's Hate, which is a massive Marvel fandom-wide charity auction, happened. And Ferret and I are both mods. And so we've taken some time off of our regularly scheduled podcast, and we're going to be dropping some treats, though, so that perhaps... You have time to listen to something as you are unwinding from MTH, if you are somebody who participated, or you're just looking for some more uh, flaret audio content as we go. So the sound you heard at the beginning was actually a fire crackling, because I really do like to have this idea that you're in my living room and we're just kind of shooting the shit and I'm telling stories. Just like every other episode of Pot on the Suit, this one is not safe for work, but I will try to keep most of my, you know, nonsense off main. I solicited some questions from the pod on the suit discord about stories that they would like to hear from my very banana pants life. And we'll be going over a couple of them here today. If as you listen, you would like to submit a future question for either flame or ferret because ferret sometimes joins me for these kind of episodes, please feel free to write in to us any way you can. We're on all the socials, you know, everything, everything. You'll find how to get a hold of us in the show notes. So without further ado, away we go. So the first question story that I'm going to address is the quasi uh, famous story, or at least I throw the tease of it around quite a bit on servers of the time that I made Jake Gyllenhaal cry. So it's actually not quite as exciting as it may sound. And really what this is meant to be is to praise Jake Gyllenhaal just a little bit because he was such a generous performer. Soulmate and I went to go see him in and Tom Sturridge in the play Seawall Stroke a Life, which is each of those two actors doing full 45 minute monologues. And Jake's happened to be about something that was very personal to me. Uh, And there was even a couple phrases, like a a rhythm of a cadence of a part of the monologue that really, like, really hit home. And I started crying. I famously do not cry. And so, like, I just, I'm not a big crier. And so Soulmate knew, like, something was a really big deal. So we decided to do Stage Door. We waited around. We got into a bit of a chat with him. And I just thanked him for, you know, saying, like, I don't know if you know this bit of your monologue personally, but I do. And you were incredibly correct in how you portrayed that emotion truly, like, because that's, I felt all those things when that happened to me. And he like, look, eye contact, you know, got really quiet, came in a little bit closer to me and just said, thank you for telling me that. Like, do you have any, like, no, it's not part of my story. So do you have anything else that like, you'd like me to know and bring to the performance? And so I ended up telling him the whole story of this event that happened and he stood there crying with me. Um, And it was this like incredibly holy moment in the middle of the public theater in (laughs) 
the Lower East Side. So I was just really impressed with him as a person in that moment. I mean, maybe he's a crackerjack the rest of the time, but in that moment, he was a truly kind and generous performer. And so I was really, really grateful for that. The next story I'm going to tell is the story of how we found out my dowry when my father and I were in Malawi. So this was in the year of our Lord, 2009, and my father and I were both on the board of directors for a nonprofit. I am still on the board, and I was also doing my master's of social work work with this nonprofit, and I was helping, I had spent the previous semester helping to start several branches of this nonprofit within Malawi and Uganda. And my dad and I decided to fly over and see them in person and hang out. So we went to Ethiopia and saw some friends who were um, working at a hospital there and then swung um, through Kenya to see some other friends and then headed down to Malawi. We were in Malawi for probably, I don't know, two weeks. Malawi is an incredibly under-resourced country. Its soil pretty much only grows tobacco. And as the global tobacco trade has decreased, Malawi has had a really hard time kind of keeping that up and making sure that they could still feed their people. Um, and it doesn't help that, you know, just like every other colonial entity around the world, they really struggled with government after the British left, which was in the 60s. They've been independent since, I believe, 1968. And there's a lot of cu culture clashes, you know, there's a lot of places that are still really, really deep and tribed in the way the tribal world works and you're not even sure colonialism kind of hit them individually. And then there's other folks that it's a really clear hybrid. Um, one of my favorite things, by the way, was that um, Malawi has an anti-incorporation law and so you can't have McDonald's or Starbucks or Walmart or anything else. And so every time my, like, my fellows I, is how we term them in the nonprofit. So like the staff, the on the ground indigenous staff, wanted a food, they always asked me to take them um, to McDowd's, <laughs> which was yellow and gold and painted in golden arches and served every single menu item the same <laughs> as McDonald's, but it was called McDowd's. I loved the ingenuity. So we were in a really remote village called Medici, which is a bit outside of Linglawe, which is the capital. And I, um, I don't remember exactly how we got onto this conversation, like specifically, but the a bunch of the, the teenage boys, like the high school students that this nonprofit works with, were all really surprised that I wasn't married because I was in my you know mid to late 20s at that point and kind of in their, in their mindset, like I should be married or at least engaged or like on the way or things like that. And so like my father jumped in and said, well, actually like she's really busy in school and it just hasn't been the right time. And so then it kind of got in this whole thing of like, how much schooling do I have? How much, you know, how much land would I come with? And so dad and I sat there and we're like, well, let's have fun with this. Calculating like how much land, you know, that we owned as a family and that he could generously say I owned and um, some other things like that. And it turned, and so we just like left it. We thought it was just funny. It wasn't really a big deal. And the next day, one of the village chiefs came and knocked on my door, knocked on the door of the house that we were staying at and asked to speak to my father and offered a herd of camels um, 45 goats and seven potato, no, I'm sorry, seven tomato plants for my hand in marriage. So we graciously turned him down. Um, I'm sad to say that Mr. 
like, I mean, it's a reverse dowry, obviously, but um, like, that's what he would offer for me essentially to give to my parents. There's cult cultures where my parents would offer to give, but in, in that particular tribe in Malawi, it was the, it was the dude who paid the, the girl's family. Um, and it was honestly fairly depressing as a feminist because like, while that's a huge amount of Malawian cultural capital money, as it were, a huge amount of kwacha, which is their um, currency, like that was my, that was my worth. That was my worth. Um, and then as soon as they found out that I didn't want children, my worth disappeared. Like he withdrew everything but the tomato plants. <laughs> so let's just, so I am essentially worth like a handful of tomato plants, um, as myself. So anyway, super fun. Um, my, my fellows and like the staff there still laugh about it all the time. It's absolutely hilarious, but Mr. Flame did not provide any dowry whatsoever. So I can't, can't tell you the Northern Irish equivalent of that many camels or goats. All right. So the next story that was pretty well requested was me and Mr. Flame's second date. This is very important that it is not our first date because if this had happened on our first date, I'm not entirely sure we'd be married. <laughs> but on our second date, we were in we were in Belfast, Northern Ireland, which for anybody who doesn't know the UK, Belfast is very geographically small. Um, I could get across the whole city in a car in about 10 minutes, um, north to south. And the he lived in the very, very northern tip, and I lived in the pretty close to the southern tip. And so when we first started dating, we met every single night in city center because he that's where he worked. And we got together for this piece of the story in December. And much like most towns in Europe, cities in Europe, they had a continental Christmas market. And so we agreed to meet at the continental market. Now, a little bit of backup, Mr. Flame and I met on OkCupid and we went out. I actually didn't wink at him first, Soulmate did, because she helped set up my profile. And then we got to talking. We went out in the kind of like middle of October and uh, all I remember is that he talked at me for 45 minutes straight and it was a little overwhelming, but I was ready to give him nervousness and we were going to go out the next weekend. And then I got a migraine and then his baby sister got sick where she, she was over in Newcastle, um, England for uni. And so he wanted to fly to see her, blah, 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 blah. It wasn't like I ever, like we kept talking back and forth a little bit and I was always of the mindset that I was going to give him another date or, you know, which is a horribly paternalistic language, but like, that's honestly how I felt at that point. And then on Thanksgiving morning around 1030, I got a text message from him that said, I'm sure today is really lonely for you. I hope you have found family to celebrate it with. Would love to get together sometime soon. Please let me know. And I showed that to soulmate and she said, you give that boy a second date and you give it to him right now. That is the sweetest thing anyone has ever done. So then the following, so at that point my schedule was bananas and I told him I had the following Wednesday, the following Thursday, and then like a nut, like the following Tuesday at lunch or something. And I was like, that's all I've got before I fly home for Christmas for a month. What do you, what do you want? And he said, is it really creepy to say I'd like all three? Cause like, could, like, cause I, I just think I want more time with you. And I was like, mm -hmm. so we met on Wednesday night after I got done teaching a class. I remember I told soulmate that I would be home like in 45 minutes. Uh, we definitely closed down the bar. Um, a wonderful bar that's no longer there. It was called Auntie Annie's, special place in my heart, um, right on the Dublin Road in Belfast. Um, and then immediately, like somewhere in the middle of that date, he asked for the next night, like, are you still free tomorrow night? Can we get together tomorrow night? And I was like, 
uh, okay, yes, like boys, I thought boys played games. Like every other boy I had ever been with played all these like hard to get games. Mr. Flame never did that. And so um, the next night we agreed to meet at dinner time in the Continental Market. And I like took a lot of time with this outfit, y'all. I went through drafts, several people were consulted. I had my cutest knit hat on. Like we were going to eat at the Continental Market. It is out of doors. Like I needed to be super cute. Um, but also warm because it like there's a cold in the UK that doesn't exist anywhere else. And like we were there, it was cold and, and damp and I wanted to be warm. So several drafts, this was a really big deal. I was nervous all day. I taught that morning, I remember, and then pretty much just paced for the rest of the afternoon because I couldn't tell if like, is two days in a row really good? Is this, you know, I don't really know what to do. He's really cute, but like, I don't really know. So then we meet up at the Continental Market we're walking around and I ask him about his day and he tells me all about it. And then he asked me about his day, about my day. And I am two sentences into telling him about my day when he about faces and starts walking to, to where he wanted to get to. <laughs> there was a, <laughs> there was a meets of the world booth and he really wanted a kangaroo burger. <laughs> so he just like left me mid sentence standing in the middle of the market. And <laughs> For some reason, they just hit me as, oh my God, you're an idiot, but not like an idiot, like I'm going to leave you. So I just like followed him, walked up to him and I said, do you have any interest in the end of my sentence? And he was like, yeah, I told you I was going to go get dinner. I was like, oh no, 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 that you said that in your head and not out loud. And like all the dudes around him were like, mate, you just blew it. Oh, and like the whole thing, they gave us free burgers because they thought we were like, they were like, oh, how long have you guys been together? I was like, guys, this is date number two. And they were like, boy, you are screwed. Like, it was really fun in a very specific Northern Irish way. So he was properly chastised. Um, we ate our burgers. Um, I got Springbok, by the way, which was my personal favorite at that, at that particular stand. And then we went back to his house and... Um, because mostly I thought at the time he just wanted to be alone with me. I know now that he was broke, which is adorable. Um, and we watched Toy Story 3. Um, and we talked about what I was excited about going home for Christmas. And um, that night I texted my brother and I said, I think I finally found a boy that might actually respect me. Like, I think I might have found somebody I want to be with for a little while. Um, and I said, but, oh, it's totally just a fling. Like, I don't even know if I'll even bother introducing him to you guys or like anything, but I'm pretty happy. And my brother was like, just, you know, I'm really happy for you. My brother and I are best friends. My brother was like, I'm really happy for you, but like, tell me his name because I have a feeling he's going to hang around. So that was in December of 2011. By March of 2012, my brother flew over to visit me and he spent the whole week with Mr. Flame. And then by the summer of 2012, we were engaged. So I am no longer allowed to judge timeframes on relationships. Um, but you best believe that his best man told the story of our second date at his wedding, at our wedding. And you best believe the entire crowd at our wedding cracked up laughing at him. Okay. Couple more stories. This one's pretty short. Uh, Lackery especially asked for the story of the time I tried to hug a lion. And the answer is simply that I was on safari in Kenya. I have lots and lots of feelings about organized safari companies that are still very conflicting. But this one seemed pretty good and, and employed a lot of indigenous folks and we traced the money to make sure the money actually stayed in Kenya, unlike a lot of the gorilla treks in Rwanda where the money goes back to Germany. So we went and it was great. And 
I, there was like one part where you could get out of the van uh, thing and kind of walk around and I was getting some pictures and I have a not amazing sense of my own personal safety. I'm better now, but I, I this is like 10, 12 years ago. This is 2006, I think. Yeah, this is 2006. Um, and uh, not, not the greatest sense of, of personal propriety. So I saw what I absolutely swore to God was just like a regular cat. It uh, didn't occur to me that the cat was larger than a normal cat or that domestic cats don't exist in that part of Kenya. But it was playing and it was by itself and it was really cute. And I went over to try to hug it. And um, that was a poor decision. So I almost had it in my arms when like the two of the guys that I was with like pulled me back and they were like, I don't know what is wrong with you. You are the smartest person we know and you're a absolute fucking idiot. That's a lion. It's like, oh no, no, it's not, it's a baby. Oh my God, it's a lion. Right. So I wasn't allowed to make my own decisions for the rest of that trip. Okay, final story for this round of story time with flame at pod on the suit. I will tell you a very funny story. At least I think it's really funny about my brother. So my brother is one of those people who has like serious Tony Stark energy in that he could sell ice, like he could sell ice to indigenous Alaskans. Like he's just that kind of charmer. He's that kind of guy. And when we were at one point where I got my master's, he got his undergraduate or he was in undergraduate um, there. He didn't end up finishing. And so his freshman year was my first year and I was on staff at the university as well as doing my master's program. And so it was like, I don't know, nine o'clock, 9.30 in the morning on a Wednesday, kind of right around this time, right around homecoming, when I got a phone call from one of my friends who was also on staff that was like, did you know that your brother went to the infirmary last night? I was like, nope, did not know that. So I get a hold of my brother and his roommate picks up like his cell phone. He's like, yeah, Kristen, you better come over here. Like Brian's really, really messed up. And I was like, oh, uh, I'm sorry. Like, of course, all these terrible ideas go through my head. I'm decided that he's dead or like maimed or has been beaten up for being a dumbass or something. I don't know. So I get into his dorm and he is laying with both of his arms like above his head and the, all of the underside of his biceps are scratched to living hell. And I'm like, what the fuck did you do? Like, what is wrong with you? Um, and he was like, yeah, so I was skateboarding down the parking garage and it's really steep and I didn't like curve as fast as I should have. And so I ended up like wrapped around a chain link fence. Sure. Freshman boys, like save me forever from 18 year old boys, like forever. So I was like, sure, okay, you're a nutter. I was like, why don't you come back to the house, like my house, and I've got Neosporin and like all that kind of stuff. And you don't have any classes for the rest of the day. So like, let's get you to the point where you can use your arms again. His roommate is like dying laughing. They're taking videos. If TikTok had existed in the year of our Lord, 2006, this would have been on TikTok. Facebook barely existed. So this didn't go on social media, of which my brother is so thankful. So we finally like, we get him to the point where it's okay. He can go to class the next day. Like it's still pretty gnarly. And even with a short sleeve t-shirt on, like you can see a lot of it. So he goes to his foundations of marketing class the next day. And this girl leans over and goes, oh my gosh, what happened? And is like, really, I should also say my brother's really hot according to people who are not me. Um, and this girl leans over and is like, oh my God, what happened? And in dead seriousness, Brother Flame leans forward and goes, I was mauled by a puma. Friends, this was in central Texas. I'm not even sure pumas are indigenous to North America. Girl totally bought it and started a fundraising campaign to get pumas off campus.
All right. And that's it for this edition of Hanging Out in Flames Living Room. Um, you know, we're workshopping the title. We'll get back to you on it. Uh, we will see you soon for either another little treat or perhaps the full episode. Don't forget that if you listen to our last episode, you heard that for the first episode back, we are going to be celebrating thankfulness in fandom. As of you hearing this on my voice, the thankfulness depot is open in the Potscast server. You can express thankfulness to a specific creator. In there, you can tell us all about your favorite fan work and why you are thankful for it. If you would like to express any of that anonymously, the fandom feelings form is in the show notes of this episode. Lots and lots of fun happening in that episode where we really try to make sure that everybody feels love and we understand the breadth and the beauty of fandom. So until next time, guys, this is Be The Flame. Um, honored that you gave us your time to listen and we'll, t- we'll talk to you later. Bye.